To defeat an enemy, you must know them. Not just their battle tactics, but their history, philosophy, art. To the Chiss Ascendancy Podcast. All right, all right, all right. So smooth. Right? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to... The Chiss Ascendancy. Episode 50. Episode 50. Yes. What do you know? And we are talking today about everyone's favorite faction... The Clone Trooper. The Clone Trooper. The title of this bad, this bad boy is... This bad batch. This bad batch? <laughs> She's a bad batch. <laughs> you want to give us the title? <clears throat> For the Republic! Nice. Uh, so, back in high school, whenever we were talking to chicks and they were into it, we used to call it For the Republic. Uh, score one for the Empire, actually. I believe yeah. it was. Empire Republic... The, Skull they, one for the Empire. They were in charge. That's uh, the quote it was based on. Yeah. We're out there scoring for the Empire is what we called it. But we used to, yeah, say both. So uh, we're talking about clone troopers today, and uh, we wanted to do it big for our 50th episode. If you didn't think we'd make it to 50... Uh, then doom on you. <laughs> if doom you weren't smart enough to you. plan ahead, then doom on you. Doom on you. Uh, so... We want to talk about how clones went from basically nobodies to some of our favorite characters. And so that's kind of what we're diving into today. Yes. Um, what was your take on clone troopers when they first were on the scene? Uh, I didn't know what a clone was. Mm-hmm. I remember Sean, our oldest brother, was trying to explain it to me and I was like, a clone? Like body spray? <laughs> and he's like, no, like a clone. And I was like... Brick wall, Sean. Mm. He, he took him forever to... I remember we having a discussion in the pantry. I just don't remember where we were. That's funny. I'm to figure out what a clone My was. thing was, uh, my first understanding of the clones was after episode one. And again, our brother Sean was like, yeah, they're clones. And I was like, okay. And I kind of knew what that was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was like, of the emperor. And I was like, an army? And so I guess somewhere on the long, along the line, he had gotten his timelines crossed up. Yeah, where there are clones of the Emperor, but not an army of them all at once. And so I was like... Unstoppable. Force. Yeah, I was like, well, no wonder the Clone Wars were so violent. I can tell you why that wouldn't work. It's because all the sheaves would be like, there'd be infighting. Oh my God. Can you even imagine? Like you had never seen. Yeah, but then you'd have Super Sheev rise from the ashes. I mean, I guess... But then you would also have, like, Clone Trooper 99, Sheev. <laughs> I don't even going to do it. That would be really... That would be crazy. He would just be... Janitor Sheev. He would be so bitter. Get off my robe. Uh, so, uh, we're talking about Clone Troopers. And really, I think the cool thing was that... Uh, there was Cl- Clone Wars. The cartoon did so much for Star Wars because, mm-hmm. um, as well, we've for seen, one, we got Rex. We wouldn't have Rex without TC Dub, right? Well, also, it's it did so much for characters that we didn't realize we needed more of. 
if that makes sense. So, for instance, a character like Darth Maul, we didn't know, like, George Lucas didn't understand the potential that he had mm-hmm. and has been pretty public with how much of a, not mistake, but maybe a... Regret. Yeah, a regret. A regret. Or a, um, an oversight it was to kill him off in The Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. And so they brought him back for Clone Wars. And as we've said in previous yeah, episodes... Jar Jar's going to be the key to this movie. Uh, he, Darth Maul can suck eggs. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. Uh, crap, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, as we've stated before, um, you know, he, he realized Darth Maul's potential to the extent that if he was going to write the, the sequel trilogy, he was even going to have... Maul be the big bad. Yeah, that would have been cool. Oh, Also, it would have given us... I mean, I think the Zabraks probably have a comparable lifespan to humans at this point in canon, but if you would have done the sequel trilogy and he would have had the opportunity to bring Maul back, it would have said something that if he was in his prime, you know, so many years after the Phantom Menace, right? they probably had an elongated lifespan. Yeah, it would be interesting. I guess, in a way, it's strange how the dark side of the Force ages... But Dark side yeah, users, but also, sustains, but also them. sustains them. Yeah. So it's like, all right, you're gonna look eighty when you're forty, but you'll be there for a while. Well, and it, I don't know. I don't without with, at the risk of getting off topic a little bit. You see, like in the Bane trilogy, for instance, which again, not canon, but a good point of reference for this kind of idea is that the Orbalisk armor made him like invincible, but once he got it all removed, it, it exacted had, a huge toll on yeah, him. Yeah, and he, he had tremors and stuff like that. And I think he was only like. 40 or 50 at the time, I want to say. Hmm. Yeah. Well, also, interestingly, like, Palpatine's got to be 100 years old by the Return of the Jedi. Yeah. And then 130 years old or 140 years old by the end of Rise of Skywalker. Which is interesting because that seems like his clones deteriorated much more quickly yeah. than original Sheev. Well, you yeah, know? I think that... You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that story where if you boil the frog over time, it dies. But if you drop it in hot water, it jumps out. Yeah. I think that the body, maybe Sheev's body could acclimate to the usage of the dark side. Plus, there are obviously advantages to having a natural body versus a clone body. Do we think that he did essence transfer to take over the clone body? Mm-hmm. Is, is that confirmed? Basically, yeah. Because the way it's described in The Last Jedi... Um, Peregrine took kind of says that. Oh, you mean Rise of Skywalker? What did I say? Last Jedi. Yeah, Rise of Skywalker. Um, I keep thinking the last. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but in Rise of Skywalker, he says that it's you know like dark magic, Sith cloning, something like that. Secrets yeah. only the Sith knew. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because um, I guess he he cloned his I own body. He, he, he was Mary, wasn't he? He wasn't Pippin. But if you think about it, he. It can't be that the clone itself was Force-sensitive because the original clone was Ray's father, and he wasn't Force-sensitive. And then you had the clone of Palpatine. Yeah, but then why would they need Baby Yoda? It's an M count. To see how a body can... If you can create a body that can handle the Force? Because hmm. remember... But, that would, but they, they were injecting... Baby Yoda's blood into clones, and the clones were deteriorating rapidly, and that's why they needed more. Were they blood. not using him as a genotype? I don't know. Interesting. My understanding is that they they ran out of blood because they were testing small amounts of blood in clones, and it, it they couldn't hold up. See, the way you're thinking about it is like 
like blood transfusion, I'm thinking about it like them using it as samples for like a, a gene map. Like, oh yeah, I know what you're saying. The make it sound well, maybe. I mean, it's kind of open ended. I don't think there's specific one or the other. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll get more into it as time goes on. Anyway, back to non force sensitive clones. Yeah. Uh, so clone troopers. It all started with Jango Fett. Jango episode Fett. two. And uh, there's a couple of different stories from canon legends why he was chosen. Mm -hmm. Um, But long story short, uh, it's funny because... Which some of those stories were now kind of semi-confirmed. You know what I mean? At least the timeline and some of the relationship that Django had. Because of the chain code. Right. Well, the the interesting thing is that he... um, he, uh, It's funny because he's the most qualified. But in the the comic... uh, Old Republic Jango Fett, which mm-hmm. is or Legends of the Old Republic or something like that. Um, the Jango comic where he, you know, gets hired, he's like, Yeah, but partially you're hiring me because I'm a human. Like yeah. he kinda knew about the right the l- literal racism of the Sith. Um <clears throat> the xenophobia. Maybe not just the Sith, but the reigning Sith at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, because there's Darth Maul, for instance. Well, yeah, yeah. What I mean is, yeah, Palpatine Maybe yeah. not so much Dooku, but Palpatine definitely saw humans as superior to other races. Yeah. And, um... Well, so, I think Dooku was, like, maybe even slightly more elitist than Palpatine was, because in Tarkin specifically, uh, Palpatine kind of revels in the fact that uh, him and Darth Vader and Tarkin all came from, basically, Outer Rim worlds. And that, right. for the most part, they were common people. I mean, Tarkin was born into kind of a royal family and Palpatine mm-hmm. was born into a political family but you know for galaxy perspective they were the lesser right um, well it's also interesting because it was royal blood when it comes to um in a prominent world right right Serena. when you talk about um Tarkin still had to make it across the freaking plains yeah for sure I think Tarkin's is maybe the coolest upbringing in, in the fact that even though they were born into privilege it was like very spartan Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like that if he wasn't strong well it's cool because it's um if he it's kind of like hey here's all this that we can give you but it's not yours by right like you have to earn it and then now here's all the benefits and um sheev it's kind of it's similar but different in the fact that he was raised to be kind of a political figurehead um and he saw more out there and took advantage of that mm-hmm. so it's very similar but very different but Django um is the first clone and you kind of get or not a first clone but the template, the template. and you kind of get a feel for his style and his you know fighting prowess i think they do a good job of showcasing him right at the near the beginning of um attack of the clones yeah, they kind of gave him the palpatine treatment and that he had so much mystique you mm-hmm. know what I mean? That he was in charge, but from a distance, but he still kept tabs closely enough to stop anything from getting too far out of hand. Yeah, I always wonder why he didn't just kill Padme himself. Why hire Zam? Maybe because he didn't want himself to be traced as easily. Hmm. You know what I mean? Because he was still doing important behind-the-scenes work. Right. So... It's also possible that Dooku delegated to Jango to delegate to somebody else. You know yeah. what I mean? So I wonder if Django was told by Dooku to kill Padme or if Newt Gunray put the bounty on and hired Django. I don't see Django enjoying working with Newt Gunray. 
and anytime you see him in Attack of the Clones in that company, mm-hmm. he's usually kind of at Dooku's right-hand side. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. It's funny because... Like, if know. I were Dooku, I would want to protect him too, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's interesting because it kind of shows you, though, how much... Um, how much prowess he had mm-hmm. that it would be like, you know, it shows that he had a drive other than just money, which is really cool because it's like, hey, here's the Kaminoans or Kaminoans, however you want to say it, who are obviously very wealthy, very elite within their group, kind of noses up in the air, literally, mm-hmm. uh, said that his pay was considerable. Yeah. If, so it was a if lot it, yeah, of was money. Say, for the a Kaminoan telling you that it's a lot of money. Yeah. That's these like people deal second with second only to immune telling you it's a considerable yeah, amount of money. These are people just, who sell souls for a living. <laughs> you basically know what I mean? like a, a whole planet's worth of wealth if immune's impressed by it. Right. So he's saying that Django's pay was considerable and he still wanted to hunt. It's just kind of cool. It's very Mandalorian of him yeah, to, for to sure. can you do in that. And so he kind of gets you kind of get a picture of how good of a fighter he is and what you can expect from the clones. And he has pride in them. He says they'll do their job. I guarantee that. Yeah. Well, and so that was pretty cool. Even Obi Wan, who's a Jedi Knight at this point, but still a very capable fighter, mm-hmm. had a challenge in Jango Fett. Yeah. Well, I mean, he basically lost, but through the through well, the cable. I mean, it was a kind of a two v one situation. Yeah. It was yeah. It was very. I think if Boba wasn't in Slave One, he would have had Jango manage. It was neck and neck, and then Boba hit him with the Slave One. Up close. Yeah. Point blank slave one. It's kind of like uh, we were watching you play Warzone earlier, and your friend was going to get that last kill, and instead of just doing the melee, he was like, reload. It was pretty insulting, but also nerve-wracking for me and my other teammate. Please, yeah, for the love of God, just kill him. What if the guy revives himself? Well, yeah, because he, he, was, he, he was trying to self-res. You could see it. Uh, but... Jango Fett was super cool, but the clones themselves kind of remained faceless and nameless. Uh, they don't take their helmets off the whole... You see them without their helmet when they're on Kamino. Right. But they remain faceless. And then um, I remember thinking, okay, so they just obey any order. You know, because mm-hmm. they don't know Anakin from a hole in the ground. And he's like, set down the ship. And they're like, yes, sir. And then Obi-Wan's like, don't set down the ship. And they're like, uh, yes, sir. Like, it just seemed like they were very robotic in their responses. So they start off very, very different than yeah. what we get to know them as. Well, and I... It's kind of like a razor's edge you have to walk, you know what I mean? Because they wanted, uh, and I wish that Plagueis was still canon because it, there's a lot of insight into the whole cloning process and why it was necessary that they had a human from Plagueis's perspective, which was like the right combination of aggression, um, but also passivity when it comes to accepting orders. Mm. And I think that that's why Django is necessary. I think if Django would have been the type to settle after he got cash, he wouldn't have been the right template. You know right. What I mean, it was, right. it was the natural amount of tenacity that he possessed. Um, but, you know, every, everybody's fairly familiar with the line in Attack of the Clones where she says that, you know, they've been basically programmed genetically to be more receptive to orders. Right. Which is interesting because we'll get into this a little bit later, but in Legends, there were arc troopers in mm-hmm. what are called null arcs, which they haven't been altered at all. Mm-hmm. And they were much more volatile yeah. than the regular clone troopers. So Django was cool, but the the clone troopers didn't really... Even in uh, Revenge of the Sith, um, you know, the most personality you get is 
hey, I think you'll be needing this. Yeah. And he gives Obi-Wan his lightsaber. There's not like, there's a little bit of banter. Yeah. Uh, but nothing crazy. And, uh, but Clone Wars really had a huge impact on how we see clone troopers. Certainly. And part of that is probably marketing value. You know, it's... Yeah, but I don't think it's necessarily just the clones that evolved in that film because we see B1s and B2s having much more personality than we had in Attack of the Clones, for instance, um, where, you know, the B2 kicks R2 and he's like, stupid little astrodroid. Yeah, yeah. Or we had the B1 handing the lightsabers to Grievous and he goes, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, that was actually really funny. Yeah. But uh, the Clone Wars show did more for clones than almost any other character. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean... Considering the fact that, I don't know, 30% of the characters were clones and right. were invented for the show. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, Ahsoka obviously has her whole development in the Clone Wars, mm-hmm. you know, before Rebels was a thing and all that. But I'm saying the transformation of basically these are human robots to their people, they have a will, they have yeah. emotions. Well, and I feel like one of the door cost of admission thing about the clones was that it was worth the cost because there was something that was different from the droids and the fact that they had uh, the natural ability to kind of improvise in situations and act without standing orders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like the droids seem like they can hurry up and wait. Yeah. And the clones are like, all right, what's next? You know, we they all have – every individual has the ability to lead. Right. And But I think that you, you see from the get-go that – the show The Clone Wars was setting out to individualize the clones, which was really cool because in the first episode, um, the clones talk about how they're all identical. Mm-hmm. And Yoda says, not to me, in the Force, mm-hmm. different. Each each one of you are. Um, and so the impact of The Clone Wars was amazing. Like you said, we got Rex. Um, we got Cody more fleshed out. You yeah. got characters like Fives, like Wolf. I mean... My my favorite clone is uh, probably Cody, or no, probably Fives, and then Rex. Mm-hmm. And so, just the fact that those are my two favorites. When the only one Wolf is your favorite. Wolf is my favorite commander. So then, more favorite than Cody. Yes, but less favorite than Fives. Mm-hmm. Fives is my favorite clone. Um, but I I still struggle from reading the comics with. The Clone Wars TV show being like, hey, good job that one day. Here's an ARC Trooper position for you. It's like, then why wasn't Rex an ARC Trooper like day one? Battle of Christophsis sucked. You know what I mean? Yeah. In, in, in Legends and in comics and stuff, ARC Troopers were engineered to be ARC Troopers. Right. You know? Um, now, Commando, you can earn Commando. You yeah. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit different. But um, then you had them showing backup in Rebels. Which is like a continuation of their story. That's when you get Old Man Rex. That's when you get Old Man Wolf. That's when old you got Old Man Jenkins. You got uh, Gregor back because without Gregor died, he was a commando. He had that cool white and yellow armor. Uh, and then when he came back, he was a little loose, loose in the head. It felt like uh, Wolf and Rex would be like, "It's not a good idea." And Gregor would be like, "What's the problem?" He always had like a wobble to him, you know. And he had that cool bro tank with like a restaurant on it or something. It was like. In and out burger for space with a white bro tank, and he was like super tan, like almost like you know someone that you know that works outside. Yeah, and like that guy in uh, Swamp People, he just wore the overalls, and that's it. Dude, that guy's nips have to be either concrete. just gone, made of Durasteel, or concrete. Yeah, 
dude, that would hurt so bad. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm playing basketball and I just have a regular shirt on my nips, they kind of hurt after a while. Dude, and can you imagine, like, it would be aggravated by the sweat and humidity? And... Yeah. And it's blue jeans. I don't get it, dog. Uh, I have a friend in high school that uh, he was wearing a white shirt one time, and we were playing basketball. And I look over, and he's like this. Ah. And I was like, what's wrong? And he was like, my nips. And then later on, he was like, I guess his shirt was like rubbing his nipples raw, you know? And then later on at the open gym, we're still playing. And back in the day, we used to play for like four or five hours. We'd show up at like six or seven o'clock and leave at like midnight. It was a nightly event. And uh, so we would would be done. And after a couple of games, he was like, my friend uh, Caleb drips sweat. Like he's just a super sweaty guy. And so he was wearing just a white, like basically an undershirt. And I look back up, and I'm like, oh, my God, Caleb. And he looks down, and there's just blood coming from both of his nipples going down his shirt. And so I think to this day he wears Band-Aids under his shirts, even on his regular day. It reminds me of the the office when Andy's about to run the 5K. Mm-hmm. He's got, like, gauze pads and, like, crisscross Band-Aids <laughs> above the gauze pads. And he's like, ah, ah. Dude, that, every time I see that episode, Thank I think Caleb. about Caleb. Uh, Bless him. But, uh... Okay, so before we get into kind of like the history and what things look like in Legends versus Canon for how things played out for the for the clones, uh, give me your favorite division of the clone troopers and your favorite individual clone trooper. Uh, it, I mean, who who cares about anything besides the five hundred first? Let's be honest. Mm. There's a lot of good ones out there. Yeah, but Vader's fist. Yeah, that's kind of not fair that it became Vader's Fist in Battlefront 2. That kind of like solidifies it for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, there's just like... Well, and I think it's cool because they probably saw some of the most action. It seems like, um, especially a lot of the Jedi Masters that we're familiar with, they're mm-hmm. mostly staying around Coruscant going out on missions, but uh, Jedi's like Anakin and Obi-Wan, they're consistently out working missions, and it's just, you know, from one planet to the next, war, war, war. Um, and maybe like a quick brief or debrief on Coruscant and then back at it. Right. And the 501st being under Anakin for most of that, I would say they probably had some of the most, if not the most, action in the Clone Wars of any division. Dude, man, there's some good ones. I'm looking them up right now. Um, Okay, so 501st is obviously up there because of Vader's Fist. Um, The, uh, I want to say it's the 212th. Yeah, the 212th would have been Cody's. It's Cody's. Um, Dang, there's some really good ones, though. There's the... 54th? Am I muddling that? What what color are you looking for? Uh, I want to say that's under either Wolf or Pawns. Oh man, I can't remember what division's under Pawns. The Wolf Pack is super cool. Yeah. That's maybe one of my favorites just because the Wolf... Under Commander Pawns is cool. They're the ones that all specialize uh, with the uh, the runners. Right, right. Uh, also a really cool one is the 187th because that's... Uh, that I guess the 187th might end up being the Wolf Pack. It's weird because you had divisions that came out for like toys, but then Clone Wars might have, you know, retrofitted things. Um, let's see, Wolf Pack division for the Clone Wars is um, the 104th. Okay. Um, they serve under uh, Plo Koon. And Clone Commander Wolf. So that's probably one of my favorites. And then you had the 187th, which was the purple ones. And it was cool because obviously they were made purple because of Mace Windu, because of Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, 
And then another one that's really cool is uh, the Kashyyyk. I don't know what, what division that is, but they're one of the only divisions that has like that specialty um, camouflage. Yeah. Because a lot of it, it's like, okay, so the 501st is white with the blue trim or white with the yellow trim or white with a purple trim or things like that. The Wolfpack is white with the gray trim and they kind of customize their helmet decals. But the Kashyyyk Troopers were cool because they were actual camouflage. Mm-hmm. So that was super dope. Uh, Commander Gree was really cool because he had the green helmet and the visor almost looked like it glowed. Yeah. Um, talk about getting the short end of the stick in Revenge of the Sith. Shows up, looks super cool, gets his head cut off in like 30 seconds. Uh, but I think that my favorite division... Oh, my God. I mean, it's kind of hard to argue with Vader's fist. But since then, I guess the 501st became Stormtroopers. But I don't know. The clones are phased out much quicker in canon now than they were in Legends. I would have to say my favorite is probably the Wolf Pack. That's a cool... It's a cool group. What are you looking at? I fault you for it. Uh, I was trying to think of what I thought because I know 54th isn't one. Um, I think maybe... They're all like triple digits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. So your favorite individual is Rex, obviously. Uh, my favorite individual clone actually is uh, Commander Fox. Commander Fox, that's right. We've talked about this a number of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What stands out? Is it the name? Uh, I like his name. I like his getup. I like that he's in charge of the prison. Yeah. It's just... So I guess shock troopers, are they a division? Or they're, not a, they're not a division necessarily, are they? Or are they just like a little a subgroup, like a battalion? It's really hard to differentiate my mind between what I've read and what's... You know, because information isn't exactly handed out on right, a lot of right. roster in the Clone Wars. So I'm just like watching it, trying to interpret it while I'm watching it and store that information away. But it's so much easier to remember stuff that I've read. Right. I would say that um, it seems like shock troopers are like a Coruscant kind of thing. um, Because they don't seem to be... um, It's weird. They don't really have a division. Um, Let's see. If you look at Wikipedia... It says that they are... So, Clone Commander Fox's is called the Coruscant Guard. Yeah, I was going to say, so the Coruscant... Not, not Shock Troopers. The Coruscant Guard is... They are the Shock Troopers, though. Right, but I'm saying it's not. they're not specifically Shock Troopers. So, what is your... Okay, so when Fox is, is first in the Clone Wars, he has, like, the maroon and white. Uh, I think of it as more of a crimson than maroon. Yeah, but is that your favorite look of his? Because I like the one where to... he has the skirt. Yeah, the comma? Yeah, that's sick. He basically turns into... Um, he is the leader of the shock troopers. He's the one that's running that prison and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's the one look where he's got the... I think it's like the red upper with like the white chest. Mm-hmm. That's the coolest look to me. And that's... Uh, I think it came out in the, the three and three quarter inch black series before they changed that back to just the vintage collection. Um, so... The interesting thing is, before we got Clone Wars in depth, um, we started to get some individuality from the game Republic Commando. Did you ever play Republic Commando? No. No? Um, Let's see. Republic Commando. I want to say it came out in, like, dude, 2005 or something like that. 
Um, let's see. Yeah, February 2005. I think I was thinking of the 104th, which is Plo Koon's. That's the gray. Yeah. Yeah. Wolfpack. Um, that's my favorite. Uh, so 2005 came Republic Commando, and that was the first time that you really got a good look at individuality within clones because mm-hmm. they had... Um, okay, so you had Boss, who was in orange, and he was kind of like... He, obviously, his name's Boss. And then you had Fixer, who was in green, and he was kind of like... Um, when you have the Bad Batch, you have the nerdy kind of guy that has the cool... Mm-hmm. glasses that come down and that was fixer and he was the tech guy he was the basically they called the slicer and he was basically the r2d2 of the group where he would go in and you know do the little turn thingy and then you had their demolitions expert which was clone commando scorch and he was freaking cool he had the white and blue and the bright yellow uh tri markings and for the longest time of that group he was the only one that had a toy and i remember probably i don't know 2008 maybe 2007 I don't know a long time ago 12 years or something I kept looking and kept looking and kept looking in stores and I could not find that toy and I would find you know for the longest time they've always had them like numbered Mm -hmm. and I would be like I don't want 12 I don't want 14 like I would go to the store like Walmart or Target or something and they would have like you know 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, 16, 17 and just the one that was missing was Scorch and I could never find him and so finally uh, for Christmas, I don't know. I didn't have the power of the internet back then, so I'm sure mom just bought them online for, from somebody. Um, but that was like one of the best Christmases ever. I was like, oh my God. That's when I got my first jean jacket and Commando Scorch. It was wow. a, a pretty balling day. Red letter year for you. Yeah. Uh, and then the sniper of the group was a character named Sev. And a lot of people who have played Republic Commando, Sev is their favorite character. Because um, he's very stoic, and he's like, "I'll get the job done." Like I don't know, typical. It's the typical sniper, like same as from Bad Batch. You have uh, Crosshair, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Yeah, I'll do it." Like mm-hmm. that's the personality. Uh, and so that was really when people started to look at clones. I think more as individuals, and um, they can disagree, and they can. Uh, it's not, you know, you would think, "Hey, everybody, what's your favorite color?" Uh, and they're not like Marty from from uh, Madagascar where it's like, red! And there's like a million of them. Mm-hmm. They all have a different idea. They they um, have different hobbies and stuff. And I think that's when I really started to fall in love with the idea of clone troopers because it was, you know, a million individuals that had their own thoughts and their own ideas and maybe they don't want to be soldiers. And that's that was the coolest part about the clones to me was their personalities. Um and I think you read one or two of the Republic Commando novels as well. Yeah, but I was like nine years old, so I don't remember any of it. <laughs> Dude, uh, so the Republic Commando novels uh, started in, let me look. I want to say like right, same release as the game. Um, let's see, Hard Contact is the first one. And it's basically, it's cool because all of the names of the books mean something Mm -hmm. so hard contact is basically um when you come in contact with a uh uh enemy uh and it's like out of your control so like when when you're getting dropped out of a a drop ship and your pack doesn't work like it's supposed to or not every or your gunship gets shot so you guys have to all jump out and use your parachutes at the same time and not everybody it's not it doesn't go according to plan basically um and so that's hard contact if i remember correctly and that really kind of looks 
uh, into the mind of a clone trooper because right off the bat, um, the demolitions expert of that group, um, wow, 2004, holy crap, so that was before the game even, uh, the demolitions guy from that group, I want to say his name was Darman, and he has a crush on uh, the Jedi Knight that's assigned to them. And I remember reading that book and being like, hey, this isn't right, you can't do that. Uh, but it really started to open up the individuality. And Karen Travis is the author of that whole series mm-hmm. and the author of some of my favorite books. I know I gave you Legacy of the Force series recently. She's my favorite author of those three in those groups and partially because she writes about Boba Fett in that series. Um, but she really got a lot of flack for exposing, almost talking crap about the Jedi throughout the series and really looking more favorably on not just the clones, but the Mandalorians training the clones and how the Mandalorians, for all their flaws, understood family and individuality greater than the Jedi did. And I think uh, I think it's just the perspective from which a book is written mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't really understand. Like, for instance, uh, Marcus Heights, right? Yeah. He wrote the Dwarf series. And for the most part, throughout the series, the Alphar, the Dark Elves, are painted in very dark light. Except that when he's writing the spinoff series about the Alphar, they're the heroes now. Right. You know what I mean? Everything that's, like, disgusting and, like, makes you want to vomit that they do in Mm -hmm. the main series, it's now, like, aesthetic and there's reason to it and it's cultured. Um, And I think it's hard for people to differentiate between, like the way an author's thinking about something or the way an author will try to get in the headspace of their subject Mm -hmm. and kind of show the same situation in a different light. Right. And I think, honestly, her series, as much as The Clone Wars, opened up my eyes to, uh, you know, I never asked myself, obviously, like, this is like a deep thought when it's it's an imaginary movie series, Mm -hmm. you know, that isn't real, but I was like, what if the clones don't want to fight? You know, you start asking yourself that because the individuality is brought to the surface. Um, and it's interesting... What if the house elves want to be free? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's interesting because when the Clone Wars came out, they actually asked her to write the novelization. Um, and so that was kind of her speciality for a little bit. And I think she fell out of good graces or maybe it's actually, I think, Star Wars fell out of her good graces because she would... Her, um, I think her feelings, I talked to her actually a little bit on Twitter, this was years ago, but um, her feelings were kind of hurt that they were writing the Clone Wars and kind of disregarding some of the stuff she had set in motion in her novels. And I think that there were five books, maybe six. Uh, I think there were five. And there were supposed to be a sixth and final book um, really putting out there the end of the story of this family of Republic Commandos and she did not renew her contract to write that final book because she was so frustrated with how, um, I guess, the Clone Wars was colliding with her writing style. Yeah. So I know for most folks it's like, okay, well, if you argue with the Clone Wars, you're an idiot and you can't, right. you know, you have no, no footing. Um, but as someone, and maybe it's my viewpoint, but as someone who read all those books before I watched the Clone Wars, because I didn't watch it as it was coming out. Yeah. My view on those clones is almost clearer from those books than it is from watching the Clone Wars, other than maybe Rex and Fives. Hmm. So uh, it's very interesting. Um, But in the Republic Commando series, uh, it really, really opened up 
individual struggles and um you know there's the second book in the series is called triple zero which is that's the that's the planet designation for coruscant because that's where the republic is based out of so that's that's home base triple zero mm-hmm. and then the further you get from you know in any direction from the core the numbers you know change and i guess the farther you get away the higher the number right and um you know you have it's this is a crazy thought but you have a human in um i can't remember which clone it is but he falls in love with a twilight girl who works at like a restaurant he likes to go on his leave time and they fall in love and they want to get married but he's not allowed to be married and it's like, is it even worth it? Because everyone knows that humans and Twi'leks can't procreate, which has been changed since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the mental struggle of these are my duties. This is what I've been made to do. But what if there's a goal that I have mm-hmm. outside of my creation by the Kaminoans? Well, I think there was a little bit of homage paid to that idea and that story arc with the one trooper who had gone mm-hmm. AWOL. And he did have a like wife yeah and they you know lived the simple life of a farmer and you know still managed to do their duty and i think it was rex that was injured and so rex was struggling with whether or not to report him right um so some of that i don't think it was just i mean it's always messy when you're dealing with individuals out especially like when people have such strong emotional ties to the subject matter mm-hmm. and such different ways of thinking about it and approaching it and what it means to you well, it's also... But I don't think it was... I don't think they threw the baby out the bathwater. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think for one thing, it's... If you're an author and it's like, hey, here are two squads. Here's eight troopers. And you get to build a family around them. And how does this work? Yeah. You know? And then for... Uh, for... On the flip side, it's like, hey, just so you know, so George Lucas and Dave Filoni are actually working on this series. So anything they say... That's the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's interesting because you think about it and she's thinking, um, you know, she's thinking uh, quantum chemistry. She's thinking, how does this individual feel about this? And George is such a big picture guy of this is how this is going to affect the cosmic force for the next 300 years. And how does it affect... You know, the Skywalkers, it's not just the Skywalkers, that's the balance of the light and the dark. Mm-hmm. And Karen Travis is saying, yeah, but what about this guy? This guy's one of, you know, one and a half or two million clone troopers, and he's in love with this girl. How's that affect him? Right. You know what I mean? Well, and then in that idea we have in uh, literature, what's a literary vice referred to as uh, metonymy, where, like, you have a portion of one group of people or a thing or an idea and it kind of stands as a symbolic uh, representation of the whole Mm -hmm. so we have in essence we have this one clone trooper who's struggling but through the examination of this one individual struggle we kind of have an idea of what the whole group is going through right right exactly it's it's a it's a microcosm you know that's my one of my favorite Mm -hmm. words of what every clone trooper might be thinking Mm -hmm. um to some degree yeah and it's the it's the good soldiers follow orders yeah but what if the orders go against your moral code? What yeah. if you know what I mean? And it's it's very much um, a different path, but a similar concept to what Fives is really going through. And I think maybe that's one one of the reasons he's my favorite is because he sees something, mm-hmm. and the people that he loves and cares about on both sides, the clone troopers and the Jedi, um, he's like, this is wrong. This is going to affect the people I love adversely. Let's get to the bottom of this and. 
really starts to question the status quo. And I know Rex does that along the lines as well, and especially in season seven. Um, but if you look at it really without fives living out the way that he did, Rex would have never thought to, you know, in season seven when he's like, something was wrong with fives and I looked into it and, you know, all that stuff that he did to remove his chip once mm-hmm. he was he had to turn on Ahsoka, he never would have had that question. He would have just, you know, in my opinion, yeah. probably just would have went for it. Um, but it's pretty cool in that series, you go further down the line and a good chunk of them do escape the servitude of the Republic. Uh, the inhibitor chip wasn't a thing. It was all just... Um, it was all just moral, which, you know, which of those do you prefer if you had to choose which storyline holds up? Obviously, the, the chip is canon, but... Yeah, I think I like the idea of the chip more just because it makes it easier for one to kind of compartmentalize why all of, except for like five clones, mm-hmm. carried through Order 66. Right. You know, because for the most part, there's, I mean even examining it from the dark side perspective, the moral side of the war mm-hmm. is on the side of the Republic. And so, you know, that it's hard to imagine that they would be able to just so easily isolate all the Jedi that they've been working with. Right. And just be like, all right, white and black. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think there would have to be something unnatural about it mm-hmm. for it to be so easily put away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't recall there being any kind of a chip or anything in the Republic Commando series. Um... But I do rec- I do remember thinking that uh, there was an emotional turmoil that took place in that series. But the chip in this instance may definitely be the better route because it really gives the clone troopers that you've gotten to know and love, who are obviously very loyal, mm-hmm. very loving, very tight knit, which is one of the reasons that Jango was selected. Was he's a guy that has you know. He's got his code and he's going to follow it. And mm-hmm. he seems like a very loyal guy. And like you said, he's got that, he's just his natural DNA, not DNA, but his his mentality of things was very good for a soldier. Um, and I just can't see them turning on mm-hmm. the Jedi just because they're told to. There's going to be questions. And I think the chip helps surpass that. It's kind of the insanity plea of, well, it's not their fault. They yeah. weren't thinking of it. Um, one of the cool things uh from the Republic Commando novels is that they're trained um, not by bounty hunters, not by, you know, when you're watching the, when you're watching Fives and Echo and those guys, when they're first getting started, you're trained by just random bounty hunters. Actually, they were a handful of Mandalorians that were friends of Jango's that trained them in Mandalorian combat. And so, uh, for instance, one guy's name is Cal Skirata. And he basically, they call him Papa Cal, and um, he's basically raising these boys, and they become his kids. And um, the Null Arcs um, were going to be killed by the Kaminoans because they their cloning process didn't go well. And it's not like a 99 didn't go well. It's, uh, well, we can't control these the way that we were supposed to, even though they're completely healthy, so we're going to kill them. And uh, Skirata actually, they were just little boys at the time. And Skirata actually threatens the lives of the Kaminoans and is like, I'll raise them, but you get your freaking hands off of them. And um, so those four null arcs in the whole Grand Army of the Republic, there's only like, I don't know, like four or five or ten of them. And they uh, they all are named after um, Mandalorian legends. So like one guy's name is uh, Muriel. That's his, that's his name. 
uh, obviously for Jaster Muriel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so as they leave the Grand Army and they're like, let's go, let's really go try to live life for ourselves, um, they actually become Mandalorian soldiers. And that's kind of their escape. And it kind of helps with their in an enemy because they're able to put the helmet on and they're gone. Yeah. Um, which is pretty dope. But um, it's an interesting concept because it's uh, it's a way for them to live on, but not just be out waiting in the wings, kind of like what we see in Rebels. Right. And so, I don't know. Do you... Do you how, how do you feel about how things used to be where clones you know were replaced over time because of aging versus now it just kind of seems like they were just gotten rid of almost it's it's kind of unclear you know right? what i mean because we know that in tarkin there's only like the clone that works with vader in tarkin is like the last clone that's enlisted or in dark lords of the sith one of the royal guard is a clone yeah um so it seems like there's still some room for him, even at the very top, top, top. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because Do you think a character like that... Okay, so let's say Lords of the Sith is, you know, just before A New Hope or something like that. 20 years, do you think that that clone was given some kind of a, of a cure for the accelerated aging? I don't think there's a way to reverse it because it's at the genetic base... Um, and also, I think that novel takes place relatively quickly after uh, Order 66, mm. um, just because Vader is still like a new and emerging threat. Not everybody's Yeah, that's true. Really it's probably pretty quick him. after episode three. And I think Hera is still uh, a child in adolescence at the very latest. Mm. That's because a good it, point. it mainly follows the plight of her dad. Right. Yeah, Champs and Dula. Yo. Um, but it's, it seems to me like they weren't just. I don't know, maybe like they were allowed to just die off, you know what I mean? Or maybe cut loose. I know that Palpatine didn't like the idea of having, you know, so many that could just be so easily swayed if somebody else figured out what happened or found a way to harness it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, it's really unclear, you yeah. know what I mean? In, um, you know, in the old Battlefront 2 storyline, uh, when you're playing the campaign, they're basically almost immediately replaced by regular troopers because of that thought. Right. Um, but that's the only time that we really see it completely set out that I know of that's completely just put out there. This is why they were replaced. Well, and it's interesting because we have uh, certain people who are in the Grand Army of the Republic who aren't clones that were at one point civilians, like Tarkin, he right. conscripted, or we have, uh, what's the guy with the mustache and the cool voice? Yularen. Yularen. He's, you know, human. Or the Scottish guy that's training uh, the clone cadets um, in the Boba Fett arc where they're infiltrating. Scottish guy. But my point is that there are humans that are non-clones that are in the Grand Army. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But um, it seems like because the Republic didn't have a formal army Mm -hmm. at that point that the clones were necessary... But once the Empire started to move on and Sheev obviously militarized the Empire, that they started doing conscriptions. And I think the clones, more than anything, just became unnecessary. And then I think through the process of conscription and um, maybe dying in conflicts or whatever, they just, it, their presence in the army was just diluted until it was almost non-existent. Mm. You know, what's interesting is, um, now that I'm thinking about it, there is a uh, there's a comic book that it talks about um 
Dude, I want to say there's a clone trooper. Oh, I could be wrong. It's either a clone trooper that used to be, or it's a stormtrooper that used to be a clone. Or no, I know what it is. It's a stormtrooper that, first order stormtrooper that used to be an imperial stormtrooper. And Kylo Ren wants to talk to him to know what it was like working with Vader. <laughs> but it's not a clone. Um, yeah, it feels like maybe also because um, the Grand Army was like, well, here's this war. We need to fight it. Mm-hmm. With the Empire, it's like we're just going to have military presence everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you could have diversified your assets and really um, inflated the value or the presence of clone troopers. If, if you have 10 troopers and they're all clones – then that's one thing, and they could be easily swayed. Mm-hmm. But then if you have 300 troopers and 10 of them are clones, and they're all kind of spread out through the divisions, then you could have, you know, one trooper for one clone for every, you know, nine civilians. Well, I think the other thing is that um, once they want the military presence to be so widespread that clones would have become cost inefficient. Because mm-hmm. um, for the most part, comparatively, uh, conscripting somebody and putting them through training and stuff, that's like... That's free money compared to having to create somebody and then erase them from infancy. Right, right. uh, And condition their minds. Yeah. Because Jango obviously had a stronger will than the clones have. Like to your point earlier where the Kaminoans were like, they've been conditioned to Mm -hmm. such and such. Um, It is really crazy though that they went all the way from uh, when you are listening to – oh my gosh. What is that guy's name? The Jedi that turns bad. He's he's the same species as Dex. He is – Pong Krill. Yeah. When you have Pong Krill and he's like, they're expendable, they're pawns, they're this. That's kind of how they appear, though, in Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. You know? You see a whole gunship blow up and you're like, well, that sucks. But when you see, now when you watch Revenge of the Sith and you realize that Oddball is I the know. pilot, it gets me every single time. Not Oddball. Because you hear Anakin say Oddball mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan kind of takes the... They're doing their job. We must do our stance. Mm-hmm. And we're all like, shut up, Obi-Wan. Well, and to Obi-Wan's credit, it was the Supreme Chancellor's life on the line. Here. Right, I think right. it's a little bit more dire circumstances than we literally ever see. Yeah, it's the, the ultimate mission. Yeah. Because at the time, obviously, they don't know that they're being played by both sides. Right. You know? Uh, imagine Grievous being like... <coughs> Yes, I've done the greatest thing. I'm going to go bracket myself to Sidious. You know? Ding, dun, dun. Yes, Darth Sidious. And it's like, you've reached Darth Sidious. I'm not able to come to the calm right now. You got freaking Palpatine sitting on the chair and he's like, like silencing his Apple Watch. Nyak, nyak. <laughs> You're giving it the <laughs> shut up. He's like, Grievous gives it the back and forth and he's like, Looking at Palpatine, he goes, ding, dong, ding. And Palpatine's like, vibrating under his hand. And he's like, something's fishy here. Strange space weather we're having. (laughs) Making, so you need some NyQuil or uh, Robitussin? No, Mace Windu crushed my insides. Oh, my God. Because Grievous had no, no way of knowing, right? I don't think Grievous was that trusted. I think it was Dooku and Palpatine. I think they're the only ones that know. Maybe Masamita. I got his Oh, Masamita totally knew. He is a bag of you know what. Yeah. He totally knew. 
Um, so interesting, uh, we kind of got, uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but uh, families of clones is an interesting concept because how much of the genetic genes of the accelerated aging and right. cloning, you know, even, even today, like they can clone a sheep or whatever, you know, but the sheep comes out and it's like, bah, like, <laughs> you know, making a boss sound out of its ear or whatever. Like they, they're not really a healthy concept. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, to a degree. So. 1,000 degrees. 1,000 degrees. Degrees. Macy says that really good. Um, I've always wondered, you know, like you said, there was that one clone that deserted and, you know, raised a family. How does that work? First of all, how long had he been there? Because, like, the Clone Wars had long just started. Long for children. I think he's raising. first kid had to be, like, eight. No, I think he's raising somebody else's kids. No, those were half-breeds. Maybe the little one, but the the Clone Wars weren't eight years long. Well, the Clone Wars, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Maybe he was like one of even the early if, ones. Even if he was like, bump this, I'm leaving Geonosis and going to find me a toilet girl. <coughs> the Clone Wars were only like three years long. Was he cuckolded by a stronger yes. male? Yes. <laughs> I think that he was he was feeding somebody else's kid. Dang. Got cuckooed, huh? <laughs> you know about the cuckoo? The cuckoo bird? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't know, it's a bird species that'll lay its eggs in the nests of other birds, and the baby bird will basically dominate all the other baby birds until all the other ones are dead, and it's just eating all the food. Basically, Dudley Dursley of birds. Just Dudley eating Dursley. all the freaking food, and then it just takes off having isolated that entire other family of birds. Okay, so check this out. I'm looking it up, and the guy's name is Cut Laquain, which is a really long name for a clone to make up. Um, <laughs> they're to be on, believable, man. They're on Seleucami, and Did it you says... It says, leaves. it says... Uh, the Laquain family was an intermixed family of Twi'leks and a human who... Oh, it says Twi'leks and a human. That little one looked like a half-breed to me, dog. Yeah. Dude, this is so strange. It was right at the beginning of the Clone Wars, though. I mean... Okay, check it out. Um, initially comprising the pink-skinned Lethan uh, Twi'lek female, Sue Laquane, and her two children, Shage and Jack. Did he adopt her name? What a cuck. Following his desertion from the Grand Army of the Republic, the former clone trooper Cut married Sue and adopted her two children. Ugh. The four of them made a life for themselves. Someone's watching this that has adopted kids or has married no, into a like, single life. Sorry. I'm just saying. I just. I. There's a deadbeat Twi'lek out there is what we're saying. All I'm, here's the real thing. It's probably Bib Fortuna. I'm just upset that he took her name. Yeah. He didn't have a last name though. What if he was like, from now on, okay, your your but... last name is Trooper. Yep. Your name is Mrs. Fives. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Cut Cut. And you're Mrs. Cut. I'm Cut, not a clone. Now you're Mrs. Not a Clone. <laughs> exactly. Uh cool thing though is that 
And he just wears around those glasses with the nose and mustache. <laughs> the two dollar one? That's like part of his daily disguise. Look at this, hey. Cut not a clone. How you doing? Uh in Legends, uh there was a character named Vinku, uh also named uh, his his um Nickname was CAD, K-A-D, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the cool things about the Republic Commando novels is there's a lot of um, Mandoa spoken, and uh, you get to figure out like what different things are in that language. Can we think about how hard it would be to be a father and literally not having any familiarity with what parents do? Mm-hmm. That's like parenting when you first have a kid. Yeah, but you had a parent at least. Yeah, it's true. He had a, a glass tube. <laughs> Mom? Dad? He's like, so where's the tubes? Where do they sleep? Where do these kids come from? I don't see a cloning facility for miles. Dude, that's crazy. You would think that if, in all honesty, if you were cloning, I guess you would want their testosterone to be there, but you would probably make them sterile. I was just about to ask if you think they're... Snip snipped? Unix. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, you would, yeah, you'd need the testosterone, but you could, yeah. I mean, without getting too gruesome, you could genetically modify them to have the testosterone, but nothing else. Uh, testosterone comes from the same root word as testicle. So... No, I'm saying that the. How do you want me to say this? Pea stored in the balls. <laughs> What is that from? Oh, it's just a meme. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> I got a piece so bad that my. Oh my god, you said that the other day. Yeah. Um, but uh, Vincus Girada, which is cool because he took on all the all the clones that left took on their the surname of uh, Cal, who was their dad basically, um, and he was known to, like I said, uh, as Cad to family and friends. He was a Force-sensitive human male who was the son of Clone Commando RC-116, a.k.a. Darman, and the Jedi Knight Etain uh, Termukin, which that's the Jedi Knight that they're stationed with in the very first book, and they fall in love by the end of the book. Uh, and thus, he was the biological nephew of Boba Fett and many of other Jango Fett's clones. So it's actually in the series you're reading. How far are you into Betrayal? Not that far. Did you start yet? Yeah, I started. Oh, okay. Um, Chapter 6, I want to say. Oh, that's not bad. Uh, but it's cool because um, he's on Mandalore, and he actually wants the Mandalorians to return to their, like, warrior status. Here. He's like, what are we freaking waiting around for? Let's just take over. Um, but he's a Force-sensitive Mandalorian, which that's the first one of those that we see in a really long time when these books came out. Um uh, and then there's another clone. So this is the oldest clone that I can think of. This is from Legends. Um, but the clone Jang Skirata, which that name Jang is the last name of a Mandalorian legend. Um, there's another one that's named um, Ordo, I want to say. And he's named for... Uh, a delicious entree? Shaking cordon blue? No. He's named for that Mandalorian that's with Revan... In the book Revan. Remember yes, that? Yes, 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 yes. Um, so... That guy was cool. Yeah. Jang uh, Candrus, that's his name. Candrus Ordo. So Thick boy. Mm-hmm. So he's just named Ordo, uh, that clone trooper. But Jang Skarada... It's not too far off of Gordo. Nope, not at all. Uh, he was the 10th Null, or Null 10, 
Uh, he was the oldest living clone that I could find uh, just by memory and doing a little research. Uh, he lived as long as 40 ABY, so after the Battle of Yavin. You know now, some of the Star Wars timeline, when you look it up, it's called uh, SBI years. So it'll have, basically, the Starkiller base incident is like the base incident for everything, instead of Battle of Yavin. So A New Hope is, you know, 34 SB, you know, negative 34 SBI. Isn't that weird? Interesting. I'm still going by before Battle of Yevon, after Battle of Yevon. Yeah, that's, um, that's how I live. But if you think about it, if the Clone Wars, if they were born, if they're 10 years old when they are fully developed, mm-hmm. um, so he was a null, so he would have been, you know, older. He was like one of the first ones. Yeah, he would have been like, what, 70-ish? He would have been, you know, let's say between 17 and 20. Let's just say 20 for the roundness of the number. Uh, by the time the Clone Wars ended, uh, if he's... Null clones would have had no accelerated aging, right? Yeah, but how long were the clones being made? Ten years? Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they were first made. Because you said they So were... maybe they were just direct clones? How does that work? You read the books, man. How old were they in the book? Well, they were adults. How old? You said they were kids when Cad took them. Yeah. When when uh when Calscarada saved them, they were just little boys, but they might have been. But when was that? It doesn't say. It's not. It, he. It's like a. It's like a. Flashback. He's telling the story of how he saved them. So let's say. Oh, how would that work? So if they're accelerated aging, they are. They're grown from birth. So even if the cloning began, I let's guess just it, say between seventy and eighty years old. Yeah. Years old. So if he was 20 and then Wild 20 and then, soul. yeah. Really old. But the cool thing is that they did find um, they did find a cure for the diseases that cloning brought about. So for even someone like um, Boba Fett, he was having health issues, not because of accelerated aging, but just because he was a clone. So his tissues didn't hold up as well and things like that. He had to have like a hip replacement, all kinds of crazy stuff. <laughs> uh, and so... That's um, so earth Right, uh, he Got so a he titanium was titanium hip. That's probably what's setting off the metal detector. Nothing, he was uh, he was like seventy, and he was the one. Can who, you imagine that? He's what? going like through airport security in his full armor, and the metal detector goes off, and he's like, "I got a metal hip." It's not the Beskar. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was cool because that's when I was first really introduced to Beskar at a deep level. Was mm. talking about they had um, we haven't seen this in canon or at least in the mandalorian but the mandalorians had what were called crush gaunts and they basically you know short for crush gauntlet where you could um i guess it it also had to do with the glove but it made it where your from your forearm down was like super strength so you could like break things and stuff like that. There's something akin to that in Fallout called the Power Fist. Uh-huh. And it's basically like a hydraulic powered extension on your fist. You just kind of wore it like a big glove. Yeah. So it's weird because... But it's massive. When you think about it... It's got it, like steel and rebar and yeah. cement on it. It would weigh like a thousand pounds. Though. When you when you picture it when you're reading the books, it's just <clears throat> the gauntlets. But they have to be... It has to infuse into the glove as well because there's a moment where a character is wearing them and they're able to, like, basically crush someone's chest. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jang uh, Skirata, 
basically meets with Boba and says, if you'll, you know, if you'll do such and such, we, we found the research from, you know, this Kaminoan and mm-hmm. Will will help you. And the way that Boba knew to look for him is they said, look for the, the clone trooper with white gloves. And Boba's like, okay, every clone's dead. This is retarded. I'm not going to look for this guy. Uh, like, he's very, very upset. And they're like, I'm telling you, look for the clone trooper with white gloves. And he walks in, and lo and behold, it was like looking Michael in the mirror. Jackson. And they ask him, <laughs> you know, where the gloves came from. And basically, he found this Kaminoan, took all of the research, and then killed the Kaminoan, skinned it, and made gloves from the tide. And sent a pair to, like, all his brothers. Because apparently the Kaminoans were like super buttholes back in the day. And still. Even more buttholey than they are in the Clone Wars, which is pretty buttholey. Uh, so it's pretty cool. So And then in canon, the longest surviving clone that we know of is actually uh, CT-6116, also known as, known as Kix. Pretty funny that that rhymed. He does but think he's just uh, for fun. Yeah, he's a silly guy. Uh, but he's the clone that's actually the medic of the 501st. So he has a pretty regular armor, but he's got a medic patch right here, and he's got the big backpack. And um, so it turns out that he was captured by the Separatists and put into stasis and delivered to Count Dooku. And um, it was interesting because they were like, we're going to get all these answers out of him. But Dooku, knowing mm-hmm. that it was not a good idea to do that, just kept him in stasis. And so the, the Crimson Corsair... Sidon Athano, do you know that is? Mm-hmm. Um, in The Force Awakens, when they're at Maz's castle and Finn is going to leave with someone, and there's that really kind of fat guy, mm-hmm. and then there's the red. Um, no, not that guy. That the not the big Trandoshan looking guy. He's wearing all red, and his helmet does like this, and has like the wings. He looks akin to the guy from uh, Rogue One. Um, He's got the wide visor helmet. Yeah, kind of. Okay. Um, Sidon. Ithano. Anyways, he, he's a pirate, right? And so he finds out about um, this guy. Mm-hmm. He finds out that there's this ship out there somewhere and it apparently belonged to Count Dooku and there's like untold riches on it because obviously Count Dooku is super rich. And so while they get there and they're like getting all this loot, they find this clone trooper that's been in stasis all these years. And this is like either leading up to or after The Force Awakens. And they let him out of stasis, and he joins their pirate crew because he really doesn't have anything else to do. And nice. he's like, well, this is at least along the lines of what I know how to do. This is fine. Um, exactly. Uh, so 50 Meanwhile, years... Meanwhile, bar is on fire. Right. 50 years after the Clone Wars, roughly 34 years after the Battle of Yavin. So including Legends and Canon, technically Jang is still the oldest clone because that's four, 40 years after yeah, the Battle of Yavin. Yeah, without stretching by quite a bit. Basically, Aang... Yeah, so having been in stasis, let's say that he was, you know, 25. Yeah. He would, you know, he'd live another... Probably have another 50 years on him. Well, he wouldn't have another 50 years because he still had accelerated aging. Oh, true. So, Jang was a null, so he didn't have nearly the issues. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, But they take... uh, They basically take a piece of bone marrow out of Boba, and they're able to look at his DNA versus the other clone's DNA... And here's the cure that they found from, I think the character's name is Kosai, the Kaminoan. And they're able to look and see... It's a good guy to get hooked up with if you got to get a loan. Kosai? Oh, Kosai. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so they're able to look and say, okay, so this DNA versus this DNA, here's what we need to infuse. 
And it's kind of a cool thing because it was Karen Travis is one of her favorite characters, Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. And it was her way of being able to, by the end of the series, be like, yeah, he pretty much is going to live, you know, this is a cure-all, basically. Yeah. Uh, so very, very interesting. So the oldest living clone in canon is Kix, who would have still been in his 20s, but would have ended up being, dude, 50 years after the Clone Wars ends, so 34 ABY. So... He's like 65 yeah, or something like that. Well. So, um, but still a ways to go. So, uh, that's Clone Troopers. We could go into super detail about the Clone Wars and all that kind of stuff, but such a cool faction, and um, they're my favorite toy because there's so many different versions. Yeah, there are a ton of Clone Trooper um, figures. So many cool... Uh, I think the Clone Troopers were also the coolest in uh, the Arc Trooper uh, little mini episode from the original Clone Wars, mm. the Tartofsky Clone Wars. And Obi-Wan's like, you were chosen because you're the best. You're the ARC Troopers. And they have just the different specialists where they have the guy that has the guns that come over his shoulders and they have yeah, that was cool. the Fordo character who's like, and he's like shooting from the hip. He's shooting with a pistol and then he's got this other blaster on his hip. The animation doesn't even make sense because he's firing it, holding it by the barrel, but who cares? It's sick. Just a lot of really cool stuff. And I think that... It's, it's a really cool process. Someone like Darth Maul, someone like the Clone Troopers, that these shows, the movies are the money makers for the longest time, but the shows really yeah. flush out a character and help you get to know them at a deeper level. And that's why the characters like Ahsoka uh, are some of the most beloved because you have really actually more time with them than you have with a Luke Skywalker or a Han Solo. And now the books, they're not, not that they're being replaced, but something akin to the books is happening with the series. Um, and I'm very interested, you know, speaking of which today being the fourth, tomorrow the first High Republic novel drops. And I'm interested to see, because they put a lot of effort into it, they're dropping trailers for it, mm-hmm. and they're saying it's a, it's a mass cross-platform story, meaning books, comics, young yeah. adult books, young ch- they children's call it books. They a mega story. Yeah, and so I'm very interested to see if finally, um, you know, a lot of the novels in canon up until this point have supplanted the movies. Hey, here's a really cool character from the movies. Here's a book. Thrawn's really the only character in the canon novels that it's, here's a here's a, a novel about this character that's not on the big screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything else, I mean, even Tarkin, it's, it's about Tarkin, but it's also a lot about Vader, two characters we already do a lot about. You know, the whole Rogue One crew, Catalyst with Krennic and stuff. Um, it's very cool that, that these books are focusing on a whole different era, all different characters, and we get to see what happens with them. Uh, but the Clone Wars have benefited so much from from those stories, and I'm excited to see um, the Bad Batch is going to bring them back so we get to get more clone stories. Never enough clone stories or figures. Uh, so that's our 50th episode. Nice. And uh, we want to dedicate it to our boys in blue and white. So there you have it. red, and yellow. So may the force be with you. Gray. And remember, the only only family you have here is me. We'll see you next week.